0: Most of us have had the opportunity to read to a very young child. When we have, it's usually with a picture book, like this one, y'all familiar with this kind of a picture book? Especially, you know, the Lorax and Dr. Seuss. Don't you wish you could write like Dr. Seuss? Stories told this way, right, with big, colorful pages filled with images and just a few words, vividly convey a story don't they? they? They capture the reader when we tell them. I remember the kind of excitement when, when I would sit a, one of our children in, in my lap and the, the kind of excitement that would build as you would turn page to page, right? Like, and, and they would get to know the stories, right? They, you would read the left hand side and you could just see them like, right? And their little hands would just reach out and they would grab that because they just wanted to turn it so quickly they couldn't wait for the story to get going. Anybody feeling me here? I would like you to think of our story this morning just like that. The author of the book of Ruth is taking little segments of story. Think of each verse like a page that he means for you to turn. And with each verse, with each little sentence and little chunk, with each page that turns, the sense of excitement and anticipation and tension builds so that We almost want to just reach out and turn the page so that the story would go even more quickly. And as we do this, I think, as Jim told us earlier, you're going to see the reflex of redemptive love operating in Ruth and Boaz for the good of another, revealing them to be beautiful reflectors of the redemptive love of God. Years ago, I was sitting in a coffee shop, in a little coffee shop with a pastor of a church that we were going to at the time. He had set the meeting, had told me that there was something important that he needed to talk to me about. Don't you love when you get invitations like that? Does, does your chest tighten like mine tightens when someone invites you to a meeting like that? Well, the short story is that it was actually a really great and encouraging meeting. There was no hammer that was dropped on me. I mean, worry is stupid, isn't it? And I'll always remember how he started it out. Here's how he started the meeting. Matthew, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. That is how the first page of our little picture book story begins. At the top I picture in my mind it says a new hope because that's what I think has happened in Naomi. Think back to last week before we had turned the page. We read in the story that Naomi was able to see chapter 2 verse 20 the kindness of Yahweh towards her and Ruth through the thoughtful help and attention of this happy-in-Yahweh man named Boaz. It appeared the clouds were just breaking in her little mental landscape. And now on this new page of the story, it appears that those clouds have dispersed and the sun is brightly shining, for Naomi appears to be bursting with newfound hope. She's opened the curtains of the house. She's flung the doors wide, and she's shaken off the grief and the despair and self-centeredness so that now, instead of just thinking about herself, she's able to to focus on her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth, who had left everything. Ruth, who has shown her such loyal love and kindness. Ruth, has, who has provided in so many ways for her. Ruth, who is still young and alone. She has no husband, no children in a culture that highly values family. Ruth, a, a noble woman who deserves just a little rest, a little happiness, a place with a husband to care for and children to love. Ruth, who is a Moabite, and who will want to take that on? In Bethlehem. I mean, that is a recipe for social awkwardness at best and ostracism at worst. Ruth, who has benefited from the gracious provision of Boaz, but at the same time, the man seems unwilling to do anything else about it. He hasn't initiated anything more, even though he is one of the family redeemers. But Naomi believes in in Yahweh afresh in chapter three. She has new hope. She believes in the sovereign hand and providential plan of God, but she also believes that God works through those who love him and love others in accordance with his design, who take a little responsibility things in concert with his expressed will. You see, as the paralysis of pain has slowly worn off in Naomi, the reflex of love is starting to operate. She's happy again, just like Boaz. She wants to do good again, just like Yahweh. So she devises a little scheme, a little plan. She sits Ruth down and says, Ruth, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. Verse one. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it is time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Notice that her sole concern in this moment is for Ruth, not herself. Verse two. Boaz is a close relative of ours and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. He, he's already shown himself honorable and caring and happy in who Yahweh is and, and reflecting him in our lives as an expression of his grace and provision. There is a precedent of provision in this man. Verse three, tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. This would be common knowledge in this day, six to eight weeks after the barley and wheat harvest. We we heard that in the last story, right? It had come to the end of those harvest times. So the barley and grain has been put in piles. It's the springtime in late April, early May, and it's time for winnowing. What's winnowing, you ask? Well, thanks for asking that question. Here's a picture of a man winnowing. He's beating out, you see, he's beating out the the stalks so that the kernels fall there. And and that's what has been put on these really flat and hard threshing floors now. It would be near the fields outside of Bethlehem, so they'd still be far outside of the town. And and they've all been piled up, and, and so now it's the time for the season of winnowing. And so they would wait in Bethlehem until the early evening when the winds weren't so gusty. We're familiar with that in Salida, So the winds were a little bit more predictable and they would throw those grains up so that the chaff would be separated and the good seed would fall to the floor. It was hard and hot and dusty work. But it was also incredibly rewarding because it was... The whole community was gathering together. Think of like Amish barn raisings, right? Like when the whole community comes together. That's what happens here. They're all coming together. It is harvest time. It's a time of celebration. The provision of Yahweh has been made clear in all of the food that is being provided. The pantries are gonna be full. They are eating and drinking and enjoying what God has done. So Naomi has said tonight, he's going to be at the threshing floor and Ruth must be thinking, where is this going? Verse three, now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down and then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. Now, you are probably not feeling a sense of shock right now because you're not in the ancient Near East and you're not a Bethlehemite. But if you were, you would be feeling a sense of shock at what Naomi just said. Because remember, these are dark days. These are the days where Naomi warns Ruth that it's not safe to be in the fields during the day, much less at night. Chapter two, verse 22. These are the days where Boaz is warning his male workers, you remember last week, not to touch Ruth, not to verbally harass her. These are the days, and everybody in this culture knows this, when men are at the threshing floors at the end of a long harvest, and they are celebrating, and they are ready to party And this is a place known for sexual immorality that is rampant at harvest time in the night hours in these dark days. Times when women put perfume on and bathe themselves and dress in nice clothes to receive money for dark desires under the cover of darkness. And so... We ask, what is Naomi thinking? I mean, what kind of position is she putting her daughter in line? I mean, think about this. Fathers, think about taking a 25-year-old blonde-haired, blue-eyed daughter and telling her to bathe and put on perfume and her nicest dress and to go into that kind of environment in the middle of the night. It'd be like sending one of our daughters to a modern-day truck stop to start knocking on doors of rigs. One could view what Naomi is doing here that way. You could view it with the potential for seeing it that way, that it could play out that way, which is exactly why this little plan is filled with a great amount of risk as to the outcome. But I think, for Naomi, it's a calculated risk because Naomi is trusting three people. Naomi is trusting Ruth, who's proven to be a woman of noble character. So she believes that she will remain pure. Naomi is trusting Boaz, who has shown himself to be a man of honor and valor and generosity and safety and provision. And above all, she is trusting Yahweh. She is putting Ruth in this plan into the hands of God. Yahweh, so while what she is asking of Ruth could look like the preparations of a prostitute, it is actually also exactly the preparations of a bride. This is exactly what a young Jewess would do, to be presented as a bride to a bridegroom, to bathe and put on perfume and the nicest dress, stepping out, we might say. And I believe that's what Naomi is scheming and planning. That's what she wants Boaz to see. I don't know how she expects him to see that in the middle of the night. But it's what she wants to happen. The question is, what will Boaz do? Will he show himself weak in this moment? Misread the situation and act in the worst way? Will he reject her? This is the risk. Will he reject her considering the situation and the context in which she's in and, and think the worst of Ruth and that her intentions are horrible to act in the worst way and therefore reject her? Or will Boaz read the signs, see what she's communicating her here and accept her, fulfilling all of Naomi's hopes and dreams? So much risk and our hands reach out to turn the page. Verse six. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Now, I want you to pay close attention because I want you to see, actually, does she follow all the instructions of her mother-in-law? Verse seven, After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. So picture it, right? Okay, we're putting on our imagination caps again. As Ruth lurks about in the shadows... She sees the plan is going perfectly so far. Naomi was right, and Ruth takes joy in seeing. I mean, can you imagine her looking at this good man, this righteous man, this happy in Yahweh man, enjoying his labors? He's right there with his workers, working in the heat of the evening, celebrating the goodness of God and the simple act of manual labor. She, she watches as he takes his place among the men as night comes noting where he lays down at the far end of the pile, guarding his investment of grain from thieves and marauders who make the days and nights dark and dangerous. And with her heart beating quickly, I mean, can you imagine? The heart, boom, 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 boom. She comes quietly, verse seven, uncovers his feet and lays down. Okay, now imagine this. Can you imagine what is running through Ruth's mind right now? I can't imagine that she is getting a wink of sleep. What will he do? How will he respond? Is someone else going to awaken and find me here next to him? If they do, what do I say? What will happen to me, to to us, because I'm here so close to Boaz? What would people think? I know what they'll think. It's like it's always been. Moabite women trying to seduce Jewish men into sin. Please, Yahweh, please protect us. Let Naomi's plan, my plan, work. And the hours pass in the middle of the night. So you have to imagine, here he is, with his covers, laying down on a nice, comfortable threshing floor, after a long night's day's work and he's all covered up because, you know, it's like here, right? Hot during the day, cold at night. And what did Ruth do? She came and she, what? Uncovered the lower part of his body. And she laid right there. Right down there. And so, what happens Men, when your wives pull off the covers in the middle of the night, you're so warm and comfortable, and then it just starts to get cold, and you start to shiver a little bit, and you wake up, and you're like, what what did she do again? Where are my covers? And he reaches up to, what? Now, imagine for a moment... This is you in your bed, in Salida, in the middle of the night, and you wake up to move the covers, and someone's lying there. What are the thoughts that you're going to have going through your head? And he whispers, who is it? (laughs) Who's here? Because remember, right? There's a bunch of men that have been working and they're all guarding their little deposits of grain and barley that have been sifted and winnowed out now. And so he whispers quietly to try and discover who has awakened him. He's surprised. Now remember that Naomi had told Ruth that Boaz will tell you what to do. And it is at this moment that Ruth deviates from her plan. Maybe while she had been lying there waiting for him to awake is when she had hatched her own plan because like Yahweh, she too had in her heart, I believe, a reflex of redemptive love. And she doesn't want provision merely for herself. That was Naomi's plan. She wants it for her family. She wants Naomi and the whole line she has married into redeemed. So once again, Ruth is going beyond the expectation. As she has so often, and she's willing to risk, driven by loyal love. And so intentionally, every single word important, she speaks and challenges Boaz. Who are you? Verse 9 I am your servant Ruth, she replied spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. And now you see why it's so important that Pastor Jim read the passage in Ezekiel 16 that he read for us. Because what we have to understand, right, is like Ruth is this little volume. If we had a shelf with the 66 picture books of God's story, Ruth is just volume eight in that story. And down the line is the volume of Ezekiel And it's just telling a story that's been told already so often in the lives of this bride named Israel, a story that Boaz knows about, this on-again, off-again relationship between God and his people. Boaz is familiar with the way that she has been an unfaithful wife to her husband, right? We're coming out of the time of the judges over and over and over again, this bride that no one wanted, no one cared for, no one had any interest in, dumped in a field, left to die. And it was God who said, live. It was God who wrapped his cloak around her to cover her, declared his marriage vows. It was God who washed her, rubbed fragrant perfume on her skin, provided expensive clothing, perfected her beauty, ensured her provision in a covenant. God's heart beating with redemptive love for his bride. And that is the imagery that Ruth is tapping into. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And Boaz knows it. He knows that in two sentences, Ruth has asked him to marry her and redeem their family. What will he do? Can you imagine how her heart is beating? And our hand reaches to turn the page. Verse 10. Yahweh, bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Boaz praises her because of the great esteem he has for her. She is a virtuous woman, a hardworking woman, a woman filled with loyal love. And despite being a foreigner, Boaz sees her many attractive qualities. He understands that she probably could have had the pick of men, even as a Moabite, because of who she is. And how much wiser to get a younger man than someone who's old enough to be her father. He keeps calling her my daughter, right? That's what that's about. That's how old he is. He knows it would make sense. Get a younger man, raise a family, have more time with him. But here she is choosing him. And in this choosing, she's choosing family redemption rather than merely individual gain. Do you see? What would you be willing to risk for your family? verse 11. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. D- did you know that in the, in, the, in the picture books of God's overall story, that in the original ordering of those books on the shelves in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth comes after Proverbs? Do you remember how Proverbs ends chapter 31, right? This this proverbial woman. And do you remember what the very last verse of Proverbs is? Her works praise her in the gates. So I don't think it's any coincidence that our storyteller uses the same language because literally in the Hebrew here, what Boaz says in verse 11 is, all the gate of my people knows that you are a woman of worth. Boaz grabs the proverb and says, "You are that woman. Your name has already been praised in the gates." Yes, I accept. Can you imagine now how her heart is beating? Just soaring. All the worry, maybe, as she was laying there. All the wondering what he would do. The reflex of redemptive love is strong in this man. She will be redeemed and married. The joy, and we turn the page. But, you gotta be kidding me. Isn't it amazing how awful this little three-letter conjunction can be when there is like... And when it comes in after some good news, right? Like, you know, you've been doing great at work this year, but, you know, I've really appreciated having you in my life these last few days, but what follows after those buts is never good. Verse 12, but... While it is true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him and if he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as Yahweh lives, I will redeem you myself. Man, I love this guy. Boaz is a good man. He is a righteous man. He doesn't take shortcuts. He doesn't try and game the system or manipulate the situation. He's going to go according to the way it's supposed to play out. It's probably why he's waited all along, right? Like maybe we're frustrated because we've over-romanticized the story. We've been wondering what he's been doing for all these months. It's because he knew there was this other guy who was closer and it wasn't his right. So he didn't make any move. But now, Ruth has forced his hand, something I imagine he's quite delighted about. Thank you very much. And so... Like Naomi and like Ruth, you see a pattern here? He devises a plan. He has to figure out a way to redeem Naomi and the family line and get Ruth to marry her, this woman of great worth. So he makes a promise and a plan. He's got this because why? Because he's trusting Yahweh. That's why I think he's got this. He's confident. Verse 13. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other, for Boaz had said, No one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Do you see him? He, he just keeps getting better and better, don't he? Like he is protecting her physically by having her stay because he doesn't want her going back to Bethlehem in the middle of the night. And he's protecting her reputationally by getting her up early enough when the light is just breaking so people don't see them there together and a scandal erupts, thus ruining his plan because their reputations are destroyed. And we turn the page as we see twilight approaching. Verse 15, then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back and then he returned to the town. Sometimes promises are made stronger with a pledge. Sometimes brides are made certain with a gift. Sometimes hands that have been empty for so long suddenly find themselves full. And with one action, I think Boaz accomplishes all three. Do, do you see the picture on the page? Kind of hear the birds. Like every morning when I get up and it's, and it's not quite light yet and the twilight is breaking and I open the window. I mean, I did last week. I didn't in the last two days. Good grief. But you open the window and what do I hear when I sit down with my cup of coffee and my Bible? Birds. Just and they're so happy. I, that's. They speak to me. I hear their little language. I'm happy. Chirpy, chirpy, chirpy. chirpy I'm happy. But they sound happy. I don't know if they're happy. Maybe they're fighting, but they sound happy. <laughs> so the birds are chirping, and Boaz, he said, C- come, come here. Come here, Ruth. Okay, spread out your cloak. One, two, three, four, five. Seven. Okay, here you go. And then, and then he helps her. Right? Like, let me. Let's get that situated on your back. All right, now go, go, quietly, go to Naomi. Meanwhile, back in Bethlehem. We all know what it's like when our kids head out, right? Especially when they're teenagers and you're giving them the keys for the first time. Curfew is 1030. Do we remember? (laughs) Anybody ever late for curfew? Anybody had a dad like mine who bit his lip when that happened? We love them, and so what? My wife could never go to sleep until they were safely home, right? And that still happens when they're married and we find out they're on some trip and they're going back home. She still doesn't go to sleep until they get home. I imagine that Naomi didn't get a wink of sleep that night either. She's waiting to find out what happened in the plan, wondering, did it work? Is Yahweh's newly poured kindness in our lives? Going to continue, verse 16, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Which is fascinating because hidden behind the English here, the question she actually asked is, who are you, my daughter? That's fascinating to me. And I love it in the storytelling because what I think, while it could be that maybe it's still too dark and she can't really recognize Ruth at the door, I don't think that's probably the case. I think what she's asking is, who are you? Are you the widow, Ruth? Or are you the now newly engaged, about to be married to Boaz, Ruth? Which Ruth are you, my daughter? I can't wait to hear. So Ruth told, verse 16, Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother in law empty handed. And there it is. Boaz has made things stronger with a pledge, he has made a bride certain with a gift. And because I love this guy, he's not just thinking about Ruth in the moment, in the night. He's thinking about Naomi. He knows that she came back to Bethlehem with empty hands, and he wants to fill them. Oh, man. Are you guys getting goosebumps too? Dude, this is a down payment in Boaz's eyes, I believe. It's a promise. Of more to come if he has anything to say about it. And Naomi, I think Naomi hears him loud and clear because look how she responds. Verse 18. Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Will you look at her? (laughs) This one who just the clouds were dark and she was despairing. She's like, he ain't even gonna wait till the end of the day. I'm trusting. And she's trusting two people, Boaz and her God. What will happen next? What will happen in the city gate? Does everyone actually in Bethlehem see Ruth as worthy of great value? Hmm. Well, we reach our hand to turn the page and we hear from dad, next week, my child. But before we're done, I want to ask a question. What might our response be to Act 3 in this story? I've got one, one suggested response for you. I hope you will keep pondering this story and think of many more. But here's, here's my one. I think the only way that we can truly understand this story is to place, right, so we, we take this picture book And we place it back on the shelf of 66 picture books of God's redemptive, this story of the reflex of his redemptive love. And we move all the way down to volumes 40 and 41 and 42 and 43. Do you know what those volumes are? Those are the stories of four disciples who walked with a man who was also fully God named Jesus. And they wrote the story of God's love in this man who came to earth. They understood his story in light of Ezekiel's story. They understood his story in light of Ruth's story. It's a story of a love that will not let humanity go despite centuries of adulterous behavior. It's a story of God devising a plan, a plan for Jesus in a plan for us. And when he sat his son down and laid out this plan to him, Jesus came to this earth and he followed his instructions to the letter. And he didn't merely risk his life or his reputation. He fully gave his life. Why? Is it because we looked good? Because we were all cleaned up, anointed and fragrant, dressed in all of our finery to impress this great bridegroom? Quite the opposite. We are the proverbial girl from the wrong side of the tracks, friends. We're the ones with the horrible family history. We're soiled and corrupted and filthy and dressed in rags of our own making. We have nothing to commend ourselves to such a bridegroom as Christ. Nothing. And yet here we are, (laughs) a bride. Look at you. You're a bride for this great bridegroom. We're a bride who sees that anyone can get in on this relationship. Anyone can grow one step closer to this Jesus because we believe as the bride of Christ at Grace Church, we believe that the Father moved towards us and that that is good news Not because we were deserving, but because of the reflex of redemptive love in his heart for us. We believe as the bride of Christ at Grace Church that Jesus is the kind of husband who gave up his life for us as his bride to make us holy and clean. Do you remember how Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5? holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of his word, which is why we're tethered to this, because it cleans us. It makes us fragrant and beautiful. It says that he will remove every spot and blemish from us as his bride so that he can present us one day without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing glorious. And all of heaven will go, ooh. Ah. Look at Jonathan. Jonathan. Wow, look at Bob, looking good. And he does that because he's driven by redemptive love. We know as his bride that while it feels like risk to open ourselves up to Jesus, to approach him just as we are, maybe unsure of how he will respond in Jesus, we are safe. There is safety in Jesus Sometimes our eyes look down because we see us as we are and Jesus just comes along and he just puts his hand under our chin and he lifts our chin so that he can look us right in the eyes and he can say, don't worry about a thing. I've done the work. I've redeemed you. You are mine. I know everything about you and I still love you. And everybody who comes to me in faith, I will never cast out. And finally, we are the bride at Grace Church who believes and realizes that these things take time. (laughs) Naomi's words are hard to hear, aren't they? Chapter 3, verse 18, just be patient. Did you catch that? I, those might be three of, of the words that I hate more than any other words <laughs> in all of English language. I am an impatient person. I want things to happen quickly. I hate sanctification. Well, I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> right? You know what I mean. But Jesus knows it takes time to rework our understanding and our commitments, to rework the operations of our lives and what's important to us and how we live. And Jesus is a patient husband. Husbands. And he has done the work. He is the one washing us off with the water of the word. The one who is guaranteed we will be presented as a beautiful bride. The good news that Jesus is the best bridegroom ever who will never divorce us. The encouragement that he will always be a safe place of intimate relationship and will never reject us. The freedom to rest, knowing that there's plenty of time for the change he will bring about. God is patient. Worship team, come up, please. A people like this, a bride like this, is a place where anyone can grow. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this people. Thank you for Grace Church. Thank you for your word, for your spirit. Father, move in us to trust you in the great work that your bridegroom is doing in her, in your bride. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.